Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. So welcome to episode 18 of Middle Brown Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gade. My name is Isabel Arf. Uh, I'm dispensing with the usual chicanery uh, because there's something very special we have to do this episode, isn't there, Derek? Yeah, there's something very special that's in my hands right now. <laughs> it is it is about the size of a bread box, ironically enough. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a box from the USPS uh, addressed to me from Phoenix, Arizona. And I am told that I'm going to uh, like this. I'm not sure what the intended Did effect is. Did I say is. that? I don't know if I said you'd like it. I no, said it would be a good goof. It would be a good goof. And I hope you like it. Now, before I even open this fucking box, which is... You had a, pre- you had a pre- premonition, didn't you? Um, I had a premonition. And just, just in case there are some skeptics out there in podcast land, this is the box. And uh, I got my little, I got my little, uh, my little Canadian tire knife here, and I'm going to open. It's a, I had a premonition, and given the nature of our podcast and the nature of our uh, relationship on said podcast, I immediately thought sex toy, because I, I, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't think that, right? I, I do understand where you're coming from, but there's two main things going against that. One is that. Um, uh, I feel like that'd be inappropriate because Derek, me and you, <laughs> uh-huh. me and you have not had had sex. We have not. Um, um, and to the best of my knowledge, we will not in the future. Not I mean, so far who, as I know. Who, who can say the, the the arrow of time is long? But life, uh, life is long. As far as we can tell, we will not have sex in the future. So I feel like it'd be presumptuous of me to just send you a <laughs> sex toy. Um, and number two is because the uh, main sex toys we stump for is Bad Dragon. Bad Dragon. And those those are like a hundred dollars each. Yeah, they're pricey. And I'm willing to spend a lot on a goof. Um, th- th- this current goof actually did cost me about a hundred dollars. That's um, insane. I haven't even opened this out. I haven't well, even opened this because yet. because there's not just yours. I have a matching gift that oh. I bought myself. Oh, you didn't. Oh no, you didn't buy the fucking. Okay, hold on. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and tuck into this thing. Okay. Um, but yeah. So while Derek opens it, I will say to the to the audience that um. It all in all, it cost me about $100, and then I also had to pay the import duties <laughs> for Derek, um, because I did not know that was going to happen, and it did. Here we go. And Derek's opening it now, and I, I'm i sure he'll love it. Oh, Lord. What pox have you unleashed upon my house, <laughs> Isabel? What bullshit am I going to have to explain to my girlfriend? <laughs> all right. It's, it's bullshit yeah. you can use. Okay. I got- I'm using it right now. All right, so I've got I've got the bill, and it is from our friends at Bad Dragon. <laughs> it is a uh, it is a Bad Dragon branded baseball cap. Sure is. Holy Which, shit! Thank you, Isabel. You're welcome. I figured that was the, I almost got you the T-shirt instead, but I figured the baseball cap's more applicable to more things. It's a little uh, more subtle. <laughs> a little more subtle. There's just the the nice little logo, which is a very subtle logo, very tasteful logo. Yeah. Here's the fucked up thing. I bought this as a joke 
This is also the most comfortable baseball cap I've ever owned. Oh I have a God. big fucking head, and this baseball cap fits me perfectly, and I look really cute in it. I'm going to post a picture of probably both of us wearing it on Middle Brown Madness. Sure. Uh, if you would, if you see, this is why it's nice having certain social medias that you don't follow, Derek. Because if anyone had followed either my Tumblr or my not safe for work private Twitter, you would have already <laughs> seen this picture of me wearing it. But, <laughs> but oh, Derek, God. now you have your very own Bad Dragon branded baseball cap. <laughs> it is now that you can wear for podcasting. I'm wearing it right now. I am wearing it on my head right now. <laughs> um, there's there was two versions. There's a gray version and a black version. I got you the gray version. All right. Um, I got the black version. Good call, because I already have a lot of black baseball caps. There we go. Does it fit your head is it the does, important part. It I does. figured you were a gentleman with a large to extra large head. Uh, you are correct in assuming that. And it fits. No, it fits pretty good. All right. So now I have uh, now I have podcasting gear. Yeah. All we need now, we're going to post these pictures and we're going to, you guys should share them and pad, tag Bad Dragon in them. Because yeah. we need Bad Dragon to know that we're not only, we're not just ironically a fan <laughs> of their product. I spent... A hundred dollars on their fucking baseball caps? A fair amount, I, yes. I am now in the hole a hundred dollars on this podcast. <laughs> I've made no money. I'm in the hole over a hundred dollars um, because so, of uh, shipping fees on these baseball caps. So if Bad Dragon is in fact listening out there, uh, we will take enough sponsorship to dig Isabel out of the hole. And if, if you, you want to keep me a hundred dollars, on- we will <laughs> go from there. Oh my God. Well, thanks again for this hat. Yes, you're welcome. And um, and that dispenses with the goof portion of the podcast. Yeah, and the rest of it's going to be very serious. Yes, it's going to be 100% serious because we're going to talk very seriously about very, very serious movies. Serious movies like, I'm just going to check my notes here, Scarface and V for Vendetta. Surely there's a mistake here. <laughs> serious enough for your dorm room wall. Oh, 100%. Um, so what the fuck are we doing here? Oh yeah, yeah, what's this podcast and everything? This podcast is called Middlebrow Madness, and I don't think we've ever explained why middlebrow. It's not highbrow, and it's not lowbrow, it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of like a, a four-quadrant con- four popular, people know these movies, man. And, um, so what we've done is we've taken the Internet Movie Database's top 250 movies of all time, and put them in a nice little single elimination bracket. Uh, we've added six of our own ringers, uh, three chosen by me, three chosen by Isabel, to round out the 256. And uh, we uh, pit them one against each other until we get a champion, until we find the best movie of all time, Asterisk. Uh, we also have vetoes, so this is a two-person operation. Uh, over the course of this first round, we each have four. We've both used one. And um, yeah, we're, we're basically on the hook to do this podcast until the very end which by conservative estimations will be sometime around 2023. So maybe we should get on with it then. Yeah, let's go. So we've got two matchups as ever. Our uh, First, we're going to do Scarface versus V for Vendetta, and then we will do Silence of the Lambs versus The Wizard of Oz. So, tale of the tape for our first matchup. Uh, the 106th seed, Scarface, released in 1983, directed by Brian De Palma, written by Oliver Stone, based on the book by Armitage Trail, starring Al Pacino, Stephen Bauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, Robert Loggia. Uh, zero for three at the Golden Globes, because uh, it didn't really get any Oscar play. And uh, $66 million uh, box office on a $37 million budget. Versus the 151 seed in this tournament, Isabel. 
V for Vendetta, released in 2005, directed by James McTeague, written by the Wachowskis. We'll get to that. Well, I mean, adapted by the Wachowskis. Yeah, well, it's based on the uh, the, the, the graphic novel of the same name by uh, Alan Moore and David Lloyd, starring Natalie Portman, uh, Hugo Weaving, Stephen Ray, and John Hurt. Uh, didn't get a whole lot of Oscar play either, but did go one for three at the Saturns. And uh, hundred is a, pre, uh, a bona fide hit, $133 million box office take on a $54 million budget. So which one of these do you want to start off with? Um, let's start with Scarface. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we, I have some opinions about V for Vendetta that we're, <laughs> I don't know how long they're going to take, so I'd rather get to Scarface first and just knock that one out. Okay, uh, so I'll start. Mm-hmm. Scarface is one of the most overrated movies I think we're going to cover. Absolutely. <laughs> so... This movie has a reputation. We've talked on the pod about uh, about dorm movies, about uh, uh, movies where the posters adorn the, uh, the 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 walls of the, the the otherwise naked walls of young men, uh, usually in their college dormitory rooms. But we've also talked about uh, what is it? Hot couch guy movies. Yes, this is a as uh, coined by uh, the Ch- Chapo Trap House team. Yes, the Ch- the the Chapo Hat House. I, I always made that joke because I just got a new hat and I have hats on the brain now. And uh, yeah, these are the kind of movies that are owned. Uh, 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 correct me if I'm wrong on this. These are the kind of movies that are owned by the weird, the, the weird guy who like who like sells you weed or uh, you otherwise have to kind of hang out at his place. And he's got seven movies and one of them is always on autoplay and the DVD player. And this couch is always hot. No one really wants to be there, but you kind of have to. And you, you know, bet dollars to donuts that they 100% have a copy of like Reservoir Dogs. Or they have Dogs, uh, Tokyo Drift. This is a good one. That's another one. Um, Actually, you know what? I'm going to pull up my Instagram real quick because I was recently in (laughs) Toronto. I was recently in Toronto and uh, my hosts, who were very, very nice, actually, had uh, an assortment of DVDs on their shelf. And it had strong, strong uh, hot couch guy energy. Walk the Line, Ray, Lord of War, Ocean's Eleven, Charlie's Angels, Meet the Parents, Boiler Room. That's 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 a that's a cross. That that one appeals to a lot of that same kind of demographic. Lucky Number Eleven would be a good one. Too. Lucky Number Eleven, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Fight Club, Rockies One through Three, Babel, Stepmom with Susan Sarandon. I feel like, like Babel is like the intellectual hot guy couch movie. Sure. There's also like Thelma and Louise and Hannibal Rising. Wow. Yeah. None right. of the other ones, huh? Just Hannibal Rising. Yeah, right. and right next to a copy of Chocolat. That's a lot like me who like I own none of the Exorcist movies except for Exorcist The Beginning or by Ronnie Harlan. Um, did you see the, the Paul Schrader Exorcist movie? Um, that's the one that is... A Dominion prequel to Exorcist, which is a terrible name. You should never put the word prequel in your title because it's gross. It's just a gross <laughs> word. Um, I haven't seen it, even though I like Paul Schrader quite a bit because... Paul um, good. I hear people talk about Exorcist at the beginning disparagingly because of Dominion prequel to the Exorcist, which I think is uh, insulting. I think Exorcist <laughs> the beginning is the only good Exorcist movie. That's a lie. I actually think... I actually think all of them are good except for the first one. Which... Kind of a wild take, but I can't say anything because I've not seen any Exorcist movies. You should watch Exorcist 2, The Heretic. It's a, it's a movie. There's a lot of things that happen in it, and a lot of those things are quite unique. I think I might watch that first one, though. I hear it's good. Nah, you're good. Don't worry about it. Hey, anyone listening, if you ever think, hey, should I watch The Exorcist? No. Just, just skip it. 
It's fucking terrible. But you know what's not terrible? Is it's, Scarface. It's, it's fine. It's weirdly Scar- just there's okay. There's my hot take on Scarface. It's fine, I guess. It's kind of okay. And it's like, all right. So first of all, and I noticed is like, uh, there was like a, a recent, um, there was a recent, very recent uh, article that I think Nick Pinkerton wrote. Friend of the pod, question mark, Nick Pinkerton. And uh, it was a, like sort of extolling the vo- virtues of like, uh, of not slow cinema, but of long cinema. So like your 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 Satan Tangos and your Out Ones and mm-hmm. just these kind of like a cinephilic holy grails that are also just these sort of extended wrestling matches with time. Yep. And I say fuck that. <laughs> Scarface is 170 minutes and that's too fucking long. It feels like it's so much longer. Like I've seen Satan Tango. I've seen um Tai Chi Ku, the uh, Wang Bing film. Sure. I think those are wonderful. I think they're beautiful and amazing. Scarface felt so much longer than either of those because this is not the kind of movie that needs that amount of explication. This is a pulp movie that they decided to stretch into epic lengths for some reason. And it's not like The Godfather where you have Coppola behind the the camera so he can kind of get away with it. There, there's a lot of people who will defend Brian De Palma to the death. And I, I will defend certain of his movies. I also think he's a motherfucker who doesn't have any amount of restraint. And he doesn't really have ideas very often. De Palma's awesome. He's just not Francis Coppola. Yeah. There's no shame in not being Frank Coppola. And I think I, I, I do like the Brian. I do like a lot of Brian De Palma's stuff. And I admire the fact that he's like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll just do this like this because it's fun. Yeah. But I mean, I th- like, it's hard not to admire the man who made Phantom of the Paradise. Sure. Which I saw recently at Fantasia. They had a print. Paul Williams was there. It was great. And but no, I think the culprit here is one Oliver Stone, because I don't mind the direction. Actually, De Palma directs the shit out of this. Yeah, he puts a lot of work into a material that doesn't really deserve it. Oh god, I don't know. I don't recall if Oliver Stone has any movies in this bracket. I just like, fucking hope not. Oh my god, I, I feel anyone who's listened to my previous podcast will know. I've talked about this multiple times. I despise Oliver Stone. I think he's. Not just a noxious human being in in every way. I think he... We'll talk about this actually more with V from Veneta, but I think he is, more than any other director, he has made so many, movie, so many movies that are explicitly political and have nothing political to say about anything. And I, a Stone does have one, Platoon. Oh, God. We're going to have to watch that, won't we? Which is a movie I like. Who is it's it's not like Natural Born Killers or something. Is Natural Born Killers on here? I hope not. It's I, not. When I was 17, I liked Natural Born Killers quite a bit. And then I grew up. Uh, no but... offense if you still like Natural Born Killers. I'm kind of being a dick, I realize. But Platoon's I, going up against Dust Boot, by the way. I have a feeling it's, I know which one of those will win. But um, I've never seen Dust Boot. The fascinating thing about Scarface to me is not just the movie. It's the cultural context it exists in. Because for this movie, which is not... <sighs> Even if if I liked it the whole way through, it's not spectacular or stand out in any way. No, there are certain it's... sequences that are very good. I think there are certain images that are indelible from it. Like De Palma can make an image. Uh, mm-hmm. He's very good at that. But this is a movie where if you go to any state fair, you'll see Bugs Bunny in a Scarface style poster. That's the kind <laughs> of cultural saturation it has. Like you'll see that next to like SpongeBob smoking weed. These are the uh. cultural <laughs> images that we live with, or like. Marilyn Monroe with two guns across her chest. These are the most popular things you could imagine at a state fair. 
and somehow Scarface is a part of that milieu, and I just, I just don't get it, Derek. Like Jesus doing a bong rip. I don't think you can get many, like, I don't think that's, what kind of state fairs are you going to? Is that, is, does Canada have different state Canadian fairs? ones, I think, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it's like, it's, it's weird to me because this is a movie that's beloved of a certain strata, not strata, but a certain subsection of people. And it's like this weird movie where it's... Including, it should be said, many rappers. Yes. Many hip hop artists really love this movie, including hip hop artists I like quite a bit. But at the same time, this is a, it's a movie that I could only see being edifying if you viewed Tony Montana as a hero. But I can't see you watching this movie and viewing Tony Montana as a hero. Yeah, Tony Montana is, if anything, a tragic figure. Yes. Undone by his own uh, his own greed, his own lust, his own uh, possessiveness. And I think those that's the strongest point of the movie. Yes, 100%. Like, there's an image I talked to you about in when we were chatting as well uh, earlier, where he's just in this giant hot tub, there's bubbles all over him, and he... Has a pillow behind him that's clearly wet. He's smoking a cigar that like is ashed into a tray next to him. And he's got food on his right side. And it just looks disgusting and filthy. It looks like if you gave a child a massive amount of wealth and said, hey, do whatever you want with it. Go for it. That's what they do. And it's... I I think that the movie is very smart in the way that it portrays its gaudiness. Mm -hmm. And in the way that it portrays it as an emptiness and a lack of any meaning. And the, the the sheer, like, disgust of being rich, basically. And how disgusting it is to be luxurious. Yeah, this is some Queen of Versailles shit, almost. Yeah, definitely. But those Im- if those images were the whole movie, that would be something else. But there's, like, a plot in the middle that you have to, like, pay attention there's to. There's a plot in the middle because the sto- the Scarface story is, is it's, it's a rise and fall, right? Although I don't, like, that's the thing about its cultural cash I can't quite square is because since this is a tragic story, I mean, do the people who view this movie as aspirational just kind of turn it off halfway? (laughs) I mean, I would. It's 170 fucking minutes long. But no, I watched the whole thing because I believe in the pod. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, Thank you for watching the entire movie that we're supposed to watch for the, the podcast. Like, a lot of the ancillary stuff in this movie is great. Like, Jojo Mar- uh, Giorgio Moroder's score is great. Certainly. Uh, the performances are pretty good across the board. It's like the first – it's the first bit of Al Pacino kind of tiptoeing on that ham line because he's doing, like, a broad Cuban accent. Which – let's just get this out of the way. Uh, Al Pacino is not Cuban. Nope. He also, this movie, as I, as I mentioned to you, it opens with – a text, like a group of texts that if you put that in slightly different, more casual language, it's just something that Donald Trump would say. Like, it's literally like the exact same language about Cuba is sending their rapists and their murderers and their criminals to America. And yeah. here's here's one of those criminals that hates communism, I guess. The, the politics of the movie are weird. But I mean, that's this kind criminal of being of sent course. to America to, like... Just wreak havoc all over this beautiful land of ours. It's kind of like it's it's super weird because the the politics make no internal sense, and the politics make no external sense because a couple of years later, Oliver Stone does fucking Salvador, and if you, and like and, and you had touched upon this earlier, his his disco- uh, his discography, uh, like I can't wait for for Oliver Stone <laughs> to drop his rap record. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. He would definitely go to. He, I'm surprised that Oliver Stone did not drop a rap record. I mean, I think the closest we got to that as a culture was Warren Beatty and Bullworth. 
And that didn't work out well, did it? Um, <laughs> I don't and, know. I've never seen Bullworth. Oh, you're missing out on... Uh, it, it is peak its time. There is very few movies that are more of their time than Bullworth, I'd say. I don't mean to say that you can't make a pulp movie out of the Mario Boatlift, but at the same time, it's a very complicated issue that can very easily turn into, oh, Cubans are evil and Cubans are murderers and thieves. And this movie toes that line more than anyone should be comfortable with. Like, this movie doesn't even have the cultural sensitivity of Miami Vice, <laughs> which is a wild thing to say. Gosh. Because the thing with Miami Vice, though, is it was, it was kind of like impressionistic, right? Which this movie isn't, really. It like luxuriates in like excessive violence. It's like... There's people getting cut up with chainsaws in this movie. Yeah, and it's like, it's it's kind of a gnarly movie. Um, and that's part of like the ancillary thing, uh, the the ancillary parts of it that I like, because when it gets like lurid, it's it, it it's kind of awesome. But it's entirely too long and entirely too unfocused. And by by the dawn of hour three, I kind of get the God, gist yeah. of the character. I get the gist <laughs> of the story. I get it's like, and the last fifteen minutes are kind are like kind of like impressive, like that last final shootout at the sure. Montana compound. Although unlike other movies we've talked about on the podcast, where like the iconic moments still like resonate, that moment because of its cultural ubiquity it doesn't have the same resonance as it once did it didn't impress me the way that like um the end of chinatown did for example no because no because i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that robert town's a better writer than oliver stone okay i i think i'll have to agree with you in that case oh god and that's the thing it's such, it's weird it's such like a nothing movie it should be awesome everything is there for it to be awesome and it's not certainly it's like, just for all 170 minutes of it, I'd say, and this is not me exaggerating, I think you could cut out 50 of those minutes, make it two hours. A solid hour, yeah. That is a corker. Yeah, a two-hour cut of Scarface is like, would be pretty sweet. Yeah. Is there anything else to say about Scarface, or should we move on to um, everyone? Other, another? We just spent all this time bagging movie. on Scarface. Let's talk about the movie that's going to lose. <laughs> hey, you never know. I, I, We shouldn't spoil the podcast before it happens. No, Okay. But let's talk about V for Vendetta. Oh, my God. Okay. By the director of Ninja Assassin and the Raven, V for yep. Vendetta. What a nothing movie. <laughs> yeah. So this is the main thing I thought when watching it. I thought I, th- I thought a lot of things because there is – it's really hard to, like, take the movie as, like, a piece of entertainment because it's not very entertaining. So instead you're thinking of, of the meta discussion of, like, well, what did this movie mean for the culture? Which is – we'll get into that and it's frightening. What did this movie mean for like people who do care about it? What are the politics of this movie? And that's the question that I kept kind of turning around in my head, which is for a film that is, <coughs> excuse me, for a film that is explicitly political. This is a film that is 100% a political film, a polemical film in a way. Yes. This has no politics. This film has no politics. What is the ideology of V for Vendetta besides totalitarianism is not great. Uh, it's fuck shit up. It's anarchy <laughs> question mark. It's a 14 year old's understanding of anarchy. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's someone who like paints like anarchy symbols on their door so their parents don't come into their room. It's it's like like if you were to if OK, it's a hypothetical question. If you were to ask an anarchist, do you think. Well, we're in luck because you have one right here. Sure. Do you think that uh, 
bringing people over to the cause via means of psychological torture and assault <laughs> is a good idea. Uh, Derek, I don't think I, w- I would say that. I think that that is actually going against everything that anarchism would ostensibly say, to, like say that it believes in. Huh. It's almost like instituting like hierarchical violence in order to make someone not believe in hierarchies is kind of uh, self-defeating. Uh, oh God. All but right. So this movie should we is say what the plot of this movie is? Do people like not know? All right. So okay. Uh, I, also, I don't really know the plot of this movie. This movie, like, it has a beginning and it has a bunch of stuff happen, and then it has an ending, and I don't really know what the middle stuff really has to do with anything else. Here's my shot. So this movie takes place in a retro in a retro futuristic at this from our vantage point in time technocratic it's not very technocratic. much inspired by like the movie adaptations of like orwell yes it's like a um religioncratic what the fuck is the word theocratic theocratic thank you religion a, just say religioncratic that makes a, sense a theocratic kind of post apocalyptic theo from the cosby show rules everything oh boy oh boy no not going to touch that a theocratic uh, post-apocalyptic, it is, it is, uh, it is understood, fascist totalitarian England. And so there's Hugo Weaving, who has a Guy Fox mask, and he doesn't like the government. So what he does is he blows shit up. Natalie Portman gets involved somehow. And then the Hugo, end. and then Hugo Weaving dies. The end. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, there's a plague in there somewhere. Um, that's not, for what it's worth, not in the graphic novel. I don't think we should get too in-depth in, like, the differences between this and the graphic novel. Because, I ain't read the graphic novel. Yeah, Listen, I've, I've read it a long time ago. Um, and Alan Moore's own politics are... Dubious? Dubious, but at least more thought out than this movie. He at least has politics. Alan Moore has P- capital P politics. Sure. Um, but there's, there's a plague of some kind. There's some medical experimentation that I don't entirely get. I think... I, I, I mean... The the Hugo Weaving, the V character, is some kind of, like, unkillable Superman? Except when he gets killed. He definitely was experimented on, and it was, like, to test for a virus, for a cure to the virus. And then they found one, but then they realized that having the threat of the virus was, like, the government being they, realized that having the threat of the virus was politically useful, so they didn't release the cure. All, all right, right. Am all I right. getting about right there? I think that's correct. It doesn't fucking matter. It absolutely really doesn't. sucks. Um, so where, where do oh, we start with this? Where do we mess? fucking start with this? Okay, so let me start off by saying what I said in my letterbox review that this film is the most politically influential film of the 21st century. That's fucking horrifying. <laughs> yes, this film has had an immense sociological impact. Oh, remember Project Chanology? Oh, god, remember, I was what, remember Anonymous? Yeah, Anonymous how- was politically influential. I mean, technically, they still are. They just don't call themselves anonymous anymore. And now they're just Gamergate and they use their real names because they realize it doesn't fucking matter. And then you got, well, Anon became QAnon, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. It's a whole other 4chan thing. went from being a weirdly, like, libertarian, like, <sighs> it, it, discussing the politics of early 4chan is in and of itself weird because they, there were politics there, but they were so, in, they're the, there's something that I find really interesting in that a lot of like political writers make an assumption that the average person has po- a political ideology when that's not the case. People have like political things they care about, but there's no central like ideology that they subscribe to adhere to. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like people will be like, I care about freedom of speech. And also I think that 
like, 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 how about the average 4chaner? What do they care about? They care about freedom of speech. Free speech. But not for uh, gay people and not for black people. But also they think that um, – and also they think that the white race is dying because of cultural degradation. But also they watch like the most depraved pornography ever created in the history of like Western civilization. Also child porn. Also – Let's be frank. Yes. Also uh, feminism has rendered their dicks useless. Yes. And they're all incels and all women are whores but also – you should be fucking constantly, and the gold standard is bad. And that, like, but like, Bitcoin is good, but fiat currency in other ways is bad. It, there's no. My point is, there's no central there. There, it's not like a Marxism or an anarchism, or even uh, for as much as I will disparage it. Like, liber- liberalism has an ideology, right? But there is no ideology for this besides the general idea, like we said, that totalitarianism is, totalitarianism is bad, which is something no one disagrees with. Even people who subscribe to, like, even people who, like, love Hitler would not say that fascism describes a totalitarian, a totalitarian state. Like, people who are evil do not go about saying, I'm doing evil things. So I'm going to flip over the counter of uh, consecutive episodes we've referenced Hitler to two. <laughs> God. I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense, though. We're talking about no, this no. movie. And I guess the, the point I'm trying to get at is that this became a symbol for people who wanted to have political action or wanted to believe they were political activists, but didn't actually want to have politics. The, sure. The, this is political action for the people who say vi- video games should not have politics. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You've- you fool! Everything has politics. Ha ha ha! Even a lack of politics is a politics. Ha ha ha! You're just fucked. Which, which I'm assuming that the rest of our that our audience is smart enough to know that everything is political and you cannot avoid politics no matter what you do. Yeah. But what do you make of the influence that this film has had, not just on 4chan culture and like the culture at lar- the culture on the internet, but in real world politics? Like, can you draw a line from here, from where we started with? in 2005 to now well let's see um from like the non-politics of like it's in that nothing means anything and nothing carries any weight and it's all spin and there's like no action or it's like how even do i describe this i mean i think it's there's no such thing as normative claims normative claims meaning um sorry not to be philosophical Hey everyone, uh, it's your friendly neighborhood editor here. Um, just stepping in to tell you that uh, we're splicing out a little part of this episode. Um, it was long-winded and didn't go where I wanted it to, and it's kind of pointless. But I thought it was an interesting enough point to make again. So there will be a bonus episode attached, uh, or not attached, but that comes out the same day as this episode, where I go more fully into a philosophical and political explanation of the sentence I just said that uh, you faded out on. But yeah, without further ado, we'll take you back to the continuing discussion just a couple minutes later. Bye. Well, not bye. Like, still. You're still here and I'm still here, but like, this is recorded like a, mo- a week later or something. Um... Yeah, you you know what I'm saying. I'm, we'll, fuck, just I'm throwing it back to them. Go. I feel like I, I've put us in too much of a diversion. So let me yank us back out by saying that this movie has not aged well for other reasons.
having having Stephen Fry as your free speech loving sort of comic figure, Jordan Peterson's friend, Stephen Fry, didn't shake out all that well. Tough luck, James McTeague. And I think that um, that's actually like a kind of in its own way, like beautifully succinct way of looking at this movie's influence. Or <laughs> like, look Stephen- at Stephen Fry then and Stephen Fry now. Look at where this notion of like the sort of free speech intelligentsia has gone. Yeah. In just the decade and a half between Beef of Vendetta and now. I mean, like, I'm I hate to use this this idea because it's um but the fact that now they're we're finally developing an actual left for the first time since the Berlin Wall fell in America and in, in many other industrialized countries, uh, or rather Western countries, I should say. The fact that we're finally coming out of the malaise of like the 90s, where there essentially was no ideology. Neoliberalism was the end of history. Took us long enough. This movie, the way that I saw someone describe it is that, um, or I think Moore himself might have described it. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Is that the, the graphic novels conflict was between fascism and anarchism. This movie's conflict is between neoliberalism and neoconservatism. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's a much less... That's a different fight. That's a very different fight. And it's a fight where I don't really like either side. I don't want either side of that winning. Should we talk about the actual like content of the movie like as a piece of entertainment, though? Okay, uh, I'll run through it real quick. Yes. Uh, J- James McTeague produces zero memorable images for this, like, with the possible exception of the last one, but probably not for the reasons he intended. Mm-hmm. Every, every, all of the actors try their best. I mean, no one one really acts bad in this movie. Stephen Ray looks like he belongs in a fucking different movie. He looks like (laughs) he should be in Seven or something. He's trying. He's trying so hard. Natalie Portman's also trying very hard. uh, Stephen Ray should just... Stephen Ray fucking rules. He should should be in his own, like, sort of detective movie. 100%. Hugo Weaving does some pretty good mask acting. He gets his... He emotes through the mask. That's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um... This movie kind of sucks. Um, uh, like one of the things that struck me when watching it in terms of just entertainment value and like watching like watchability is that there's no discernible structure to this film. Like it starts it starts in the first time that V does a terrorist action. Like he blows up a what is it the, the statue of Lady Justice or something something like that. Uh yeah, I forget what it is. Who but cares? Yeah, it doesn't, it like doesn't matter. He blows up it something. Doesn't matter. And um, Evie, who is Nanny Portman's character, sees that and she is into it. And then she meets him and then a bunch of things happen. And then all of a sudden it's a year later and she has been kidnapped by him. Uh, well, we don't know that at the time, but spoilers. It's him that kidnaps her and been somehow convinced to go to his side by being kept in solitary confinement, thinking she was going to die because of her political actions. And then the movie just kind of ends where, like, she she drives a train into Parliament and blows it up. Even that makes it sound way more coherent than it is. There's there's also, like, subplots about the priest. Yeah. There's the priest oh, subplot. There's the, there's the doctor subplot. There's the whole thing with V being, like, an experimentation victim, which goes nowhere and doesn't seem to have, like, any purpose. It's – I don't, like – most movies have, like, acts. Like, they have act one, act two, act three. I'm not saying every movie has to have that, but if you're making a major, like, blockbuster action film, it should probably at least this think about it. This $50 million. It should think about maybe having an act structure. And there's no, like, there's no motivation that causes things to happen. Things just happen because 
the plot needs to move forward. But even then, the plot doesn't always move forward. It just kind of sits there for a while. The script is also kind of fucked up because Natalie Portman, first of all, her character is gets gets real cozy to the idea that she's being kidnapped and held held hostage functionally for like a year. She doesn't. She her character she doesn't, doesn't have a character. And uh, I mean, I, I, I we we talked about this off mic. The sort of the whole oh God, the whole pedophile priest subplot and. Like, this is the second movie that we've talked about on the show where Natalie Portman is, like, weirdly sexualized. as In a childish way. In a childish way. Like, the uh, there's a lot of decisions made in this movie, and none of them are great. Like, it, there, shit happens. There's a barreling momentum, but no calls make any sense. I think the... I try to think about what... I used to like this movie quite a bit when I was younger. Um, okay. Probably around when I was, like, 16 or 17, when I was, like... You know, 2005, 2006, 2007. Uh-huh. When I was like 16 or 17, I was like, yeah, we've heard of rules. And I try to think of why did I like it? And I think I like it because it has the appearance of radicalism without ever asking the audience anything, without ever challenging you. It has, it has the appearance of being a piece of radical political cinema, but it never asks you to question yourself. It never asks you to question anything around you. It lets... Everyone, like from across the political spectrum, believe themselves to be the hero of the film because it doesn't actually ask you any serious questions about yourself or what you might believe. And also, what kind of what kind of anarchist operates alone? Yeah, <laughs> like like who doesn't have a network? Anyway, this is like this movie's not great. I'm going to cast my vote for Scarface. Fuck this. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to watch Scarface again, but I I'd rather watch the three hours of Scarface than have to watch the like two oh. I forgot this movie's over two hours long, too, which it doesn't have to be. So, I mean, yeah. we must have talked about this. The people who voted for this list really love movies that are two hours plus. Yeah. I think it's a return on investment thing. A short movie can't be good, which is bullshit, but whatever. I think it's like if, if you, in a more pretentious sense, like if you sit down and watch that in Tango for seven hours, and by the end of it, you're like, this wasn't very good, or this is just fine, it feels like you wasted your own time. So in a certain sense... Longer movies have a way of deceiving people into believing that they are better because of like certain, almost a sunk cost fallacy. Sure. So congratulations, I guess. Let's talk about the some f- better movies. Let's talk about some slightly better movies. Um, uh, all right. So second matchup of the day, Tale of the Tape, number 23, The Silence of the Lambs, released in 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme, written by Ted Talley, based on the book of the same name by Thomas Harris, starring Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, and Ted Levine. Five for seven at the Academy Awards, including the Big Five, and if I'm not mistaken, the last movie to do that. Um, didn't and I not need to look. That I could have sworn that Return of the King did, or maybe no, I don't think Return of the King got the acting ones, did it? I don't think so. It got a fuck a load of other things. Did Titanic not? It got a, it got Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, but I don't think it got any acting awards. Uh, anyways, uh, and a uh, and a smash, two hundred seventy-two million dollar take on a nineteen million dollar budget. And uh, was the last movie of note released by Orion Pictures, rest in peace, versus uh, the 234 seed, which frankly, I think, like, I thought this was going to be higher. Uh, The Wizard of Oz, released in 1939, directed by Victor Fleming, written by Noel Langley, Florence Ryerson, and Edgar Allan Wolfe, based on the book by L. Frank Baum, uh, starring Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bulger, Burt Lahr, and Jack Haley. Uh, two for five at the Oscars, plus a special juvenile Oscar for Judy Garland's performance, 
and a $26 million take in 1939 bucks on a $3 million budget. Um, do you mind? I, I actually looked it up, and this is the last movie to get all the, all the big five. There's, do you know what the other two movies are off the top of your head? Uh, the last two, the two since? Yeah, this? Sense Sounds the Lamb, sorry. Oh, shit. Um, God, the big five. No, 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 not Sense, just like at all. There's only three total. Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Correct. And Godfather. It happened one night. It happened one night. Godfather. Um, or Godfather was two, not nominated for the Big Five. Not all of them. Um, oh, yeah, wild, right? It didn't get a lead and a supporting. Um, not according to the list I'm looking at. That's weird. Maybe nominated. Maybe didn't probably win. No, no, no. Like it wasn't. It wasn't nominated. Oh, it must have must have not had one of those. Interesting. Anyway, um, so let's talk about Sons of the Lambs. Sure. Uh, this is a good movie. I would agree with one glaring exception. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, yeah. Uh, let's get to that at the end. Let's talk about what we liked about it first. Okay. So, um, this is kind of a classed up, kind of like lurid B movie. This is maybe the best example of classed up pulp. Yes. Uh, Jonathan Demme, like many uh, directors of his vintage, uh, started in the uh, Roger Corman School of Filmmaking. I don't know if you've read the Thomas Harris book or any of not. Thomas Harris books. They're preposterous. <laughs> they're, I was gonna say, are they are they fucked up? They're re- they're like they go even further. Like actually, the sequel to this Hannibal, the just self the self titled, I guess no, the titular Hannibal Hannibal. Um, none of those words were the right one, but I'm just gonna keep going. So is the luridness Wait, the of book- that? Wait, the book, the movie, or the TV show? The movie. The one okay. that still stars... So so in the same universe as one, one still starring um, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Um, that movie is way more similar to what the actual books are like, where it's completely over the top, completely ostentatious, like having Gary Oldman play like a pedophile who... Um, <laughs> sl- sl- slight content warning. Um, so in the, in the novel that Hannibal is based on, the character that Gary Oldman plays is a pedophile whose lesbian sister rapes him with a strap-on and then throws him into a like a den of his pigs so that they can eat him. Oh my god. It's that kind of book. Wow. And I, I mean that positively for what it's worth. It's ridiculous <laughs> and it is totally lurid. But That's I, gnarly. I enjoy it and also, um, for what it's worth, David Foster Wallace quite enjoyed them as well. <laughs> oh man. So... So yeah, this is like the so yeah, Silence of the Lambs is like the classed up version of it. Um, Jonathan uh, Jonathan Demi and Tak Fujimoto, who was DP on this, shot the hell out of it. Yeah, the, what it does with uh, sight lines and faces is extraordinary because that's basically that's basically how you make a movie. I mean, you don't really like that's like your easiest bet if you bet on eyes and faces, you're in. Yeah, like that. The first time that. Clarice meets um, Hannibal Lecter. That whole sequence is just perfect. Yeah, like straight up. If you're going to shoot that, there's no better way to shoot that. I can't imagine a different way to shoot that than that. It is so incredibly like here's exactly how you make a movie, and it is bewilderingly impressive without being showy. Yeah, it's like there's it. it it's re- it's a it's relatively few moves. It's only showy when you start thinking about it, but. It's it's really impressive. It's it's it looks deceptively simple, but it's very well thought out. 
obviously the performances across the board are fucking rock solid. I named four names at the at the top of this. Like we'll get we'll get to like the content of it. We'll get to the we'll get to the big elephant in the room in in a second. But I do think the performances are like uniformly excellent. I, I agree, hundred percent. I um, and this is like we were talking about uh, Scarface and it's kind of cultural ubiquity. And I don't think this movie has the same kind of cultural ubiquity as Scarface does because very few movies do. But I think this does have a kind of cultural ubiquity and it's still, they, I mean, like this, this is, is the movie still works why people care about Hannibal Lecter. I yeah, mean, 100%. Manhunter came before this and if I may editorialize, I think it's a better film. But sounds no one gave a fuck about Manhunter. I do. I love Manhunter. I love it Manhunter. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I think it's, it's brilliant, and I think it also is like a sense of mood, like almost no other film I've ever seen. I think I would agree that that Manhunter is the better film, but I think I mean I like Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, but I think Hopkins is like the gold standard. Certainly, yeah, and this then Hopkins is why people care about Hannibal Lecter to this day. Like he's, I think that his performance is the reason why we got the TV show, why we got the sequels to this movie, why we got um, Hannibal Rising. Like, who gave a fuck about Hannibal Lecter before this? Uh, Maybe like uh, a bunch of nerds who really like Michael Mann, but or, or a bunch of Thomas Harris heads, I guess. Yeah. Um. Fucking Jodie Foster in this movie, fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Fuck. One of my favorite moments of really subtle acting that I just love every time I I watch it is when they're having that first meeting, Clarice and Hannibal, and there's that power dynamic going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, she mentions that serial killers take trophies of their victims. And Hannibal's like, well, I didn't. And then she says, no, no, you ate yours. The, <laughs> there's like this confidence she says it with and this um, thought that she says it with that is so – a lot of other people would play that, play that up or play it as kind of grotesque or frightening. She plays it almost like this is an aspect of my job. Like, oh, like she's considering like, oh, yeah, you no, you ate yours. No, you – like she didn't go, oh. Eight years. Yeah, it's it's like a, it really represents not just that character, but how she is in that moment and what she's trying to do, and it takes a really good actor to make you appreciate something that subtle. Yes, but Jodie Foster is she's like across the board great. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, th- I think that that her subtlety is a great play against Hopkins go- like ch- going for the fences, chewing all the scenery. Oh, a ham sandwich, just laying it on thick. The sort of erudite European serial killer with like with like zingers and shit. Mm. I really I really liked Scott Glenn in this movie. Yeah, same. I think it's it's like one of the great unheralded like supporting turns because he just happens to be in the same fucking movie as Anthony Hopkins. And I think there's also a lot of ways that that role could play differently or play as something that it isn't. He's he's got he's just got the look. He's got like the perfect. He's got the perfect line readings. It's just. Everything is everything in this movie is pitch perfect. Yeah, and I even so, we'll get into like we said the content. But I think that for what the content is, I think that Ted Levine does a very very good job. Yes, I think I there's think... a reason that it's iconic. That he is an iconic character that people will quote, and when they quote him, they don't do they do his mannerisms too. They do everything about that. He found a character there that is very lived in and full, but is also an entertainingly cartoonish and strange. And he, he 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 gives it one hundred and ten percent. It's a great performance, but but 
he is he happens to be performing one of the most transphobic things I've maybe ever seen in a film. Uh, it's gotta be up there. We, we, we can, like, people will hem and haw and say, like, well, they say explicitly in the film that he's not transgender, or the, as they say in the film, transsexual, as the term was back then. Ah, uh, the um, they, And they, they say that he's not that thing, but saying it is one thing, and then the fact that the movie does attempt to portray aspects, uh, like, they, they attempt to use the man in a dress thing as terrifying, as grotesque, as scary, as something worth ridiculing and something that only someone fucked up would do i think that this really the thing that really almost bothers me more than anything is when when uh what do you call it uh clarice finds the head the this severed head in the storage unit um it's it has on full makeup but it also has like stubble and a beard and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like I have plenty of friends who like. Uh, there's plenty of. There's no reason that you have to shave your face to wear makeup or to be trans. There's no one way to do it. But the movie clearly presents that as another aspect of the of the ugliness of the grotesqueness, and you're supposed to view that as something deviant and strange and off-putting. Am, am I reading it wrong, or do would you agree? I would tend to agree. Not really my place to really get deep into the weeds. Mm-hmm. But I mean it. it, it, it and I mean, I do want to say that I have, uh, I have other trans friends who love this movie and actually find something. They they've kind of reclaimed the portrayal here. Uh, I can't do that. Uh, I I have a lot of respect for them doing that. I have a lot of like interest in the readings they've had on it, and I would definitely, if you're interested, um, look up how trans people have read this film, both now and historically. Uh, because it's fascinating. There's a lot of different opinions on it. I don't claim to be the only opinion. But my opinion is that this movie's portrayal of a trans person is fucking bullshit and is really insulting. And uh, to be, if we're being like 100% like real, not to be like too real on this podcast, no. the, the tropes and the exact quotes from this movie are things that have been used to insult me personally. And when that at that point, it's hard to really like for me to take it as this positive thing. Um, but continue, sorry. I mean, for what it's worth, I think it's like it's 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 exactly kind of lurid and off-putting in an early '90s way. So it's like, uh man, I gotta deal with this. In an yeah. otherwise fucking pristine movie. Agreed. Um, but uh, I know that uh, uh, Willa McClay and Caden Gardner had like this fucking document about this movie mm-hmm. on one of their blogs that I think is worth a read. 100%. Um, 100%. Um, but like, it's, it's just like, yeah, it's like someone dropping the F word for gay people in an awesome movie in the 80s. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously it's like levels, but it's that same idea of like, well, now you went and did that. It's kind of like, um, you know that Eugene Merman bit about uh, Teen Wolf? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, you're watching this like movie, and then all of a sudden, his, uh, when he's about to tell his friend that he's a wolf, his friend's like, "You're not going to tell me you're a fag, are you?" It's like, "No, I'm a wolf." <laughs> that's is like, that's so much less bad than I'm. Uh, <laughs> God, but yeah, uh, no, it's it is a jarring thing that I wish wasn't in there personally. It's um, jarring for the bad for the bad reasons. Yes, but it kind of rhymes with the movie we're going to do next episode. We're going to have kind of a different version of this conversation. Yeah, we will actually. That's uh, I think a, a a nicer version of this conversation. Yeah, it's uh, 
because the the movie we're going to be talking about it operates in a let's say a different mode than this movie. Yes, and I I will say that as much as I would just kind of said a bunch of negative things, even about like especially about that portrayal. This is still an incredibly fun movie to watch. and It kicks so much ass. It kicks ass. It's really enjoyable. And and even that jarring thing that I don't like, it doesn't make it – a lot of the times that would ruin a movie for me. It doesn't really in this. It still is like incredibly fun to watch. I would put this on for fun 100% of the time. That's the thing with movies that are awesome. And like sometimes there's just like a big old, big old turd in it. Yeah. So let's talk about The Wizard of Oz. Which is a movie you think is a turd. Not not, not I, entirely. You think is a is a spicy turd. It's a it's a tasty turd. I don't think it's a turd. I just think <laughs> it's like terminally okay. Terminally okay. I, I, Death I, by I, decency. It's like uh, well, I, I don't like here, here like I feel like I'm not I'm not a hot take person. I don't really like I don't generally that's my spot on this podcast is to give yes, the hot take. But I, you but, have a hot take here, how hotter take than me. I don't like the Wizard of Oz. I think it kind of sucks. <laughs> I I I don't like Judy Garland's performance in this. I think the script is dog shit. I dog think, shit. I I maybe dog shit's a little strong, but I ain't like it. Boy, howdy. Um, um I mean, there's things I to like I was in this. Dick. I I mean, there's I think there are things to like about this movie, but practically none of them involve Judy Garland. Uh, I feel like you. <laughs> <laughs> the unfortunate thing here is that I'm set. You're setting me up to defend a movie that I think is good, but have no like lasting opinion about. <laughs> See, I don't have like. Here's the thing: I don't have a history with the Wizard of Oz. The first time I saw the Wizard of Oz, I was like 20, so I wow. don't have. I don't have the kind of like. A lot of this is nostalgia. This played on cable a lot. Mm-hmm. This movie is from the late 30s, so it's gotten like practically <laughs> a century of goodwill. It's also, and, if, if I may. This is a movie that when I was in the sixth grade, um, my teacher was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. And we had to uh, – not just Wizard of Oz, but the Oz books in general. Sure. And one of our projects was everyone had to draw a map of Oz. And the winner like won something. I don't remember what it was. But like she was she was obsessed with these works. So I have – Did seen- you win a salt lamp or some shit? <laughs> um, I, I didn't personally win. My map was not very good. I didn't put a lot of effort into it. But it was a thing that happened. And we also, That's so weird. We also watched Return to Oz, which is a better movie. Uh, I ain't seen Return to Oz. Oh, you got to watch Return. It's it's like apparently it's wild. If you were like, hey, this movie is not weird enough, you should watch Return to Oz because it is weird as fuck. I think it's really weird that the Munchkins get credited as a bunch in character. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, like it, it, it kind of it. This is a children's film. It's a, it's, it has oh, yeah, the yeah. same. It's the same pacing and rhythm and sort of narrative moves as like a kid's book, which The Wizard of Oz, I think, is, right? Uh, yes, it is. It's a series of kid's books. So. With an, a, a wildly elaborate backstory that we're not going to get into, but it has. I th- if you look into it, it's kind of wild. Sure. Uh, I think that um, is. Um, I think that the We're Off to See the Wizard song is Sub Lewis, Car- Lewis Carroll bullshit. Oh, mean. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, listen, Somewhere Over the Rainbow is, is a classic. I'm not going to go out here and say that that song sucks. Um, I think that might actually be the best, the best, uh, song in the movie. Um, what about like the, like, if I only had a brain and the variations upon that? I like the variations upon that because Judy, Dorothy, Dorothy Gale is a nothing character. That's, I, okay, you can continue, but I, I disagree with that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, 
kid, like kid who ran away from home and now wants to go home. Rah rah. Okay, sure, whatever. But the 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 three the the three Oz boys, I like I like their songs. I like their riffs on that. I one thing I think you will agree with me is that um, Bert Lahr is. Bert- Birdlar kicks so much ass in this movie. Everyone kind of understands that it's a camp film, but he's the one that really understands that it's a camp fucking film, and he rips into it, and I love oh, it. He tears into it, and he's like by far and away my favorite part of this movie. Like just just streets ahead of everyone else. It's not even a fucking contest. I don't know. I think this movie's listen for a movie where a fucking where a fucking log cabin from Kansas gets chucked into a tornado into a world of Technicolor. I think this movie's kind of dull. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm shocked. I'm generally a little bit shocked. I think that, like, this is not... I, I'm not saying I adore this movie. Okay. But I'm saying the entire time I watch it, I'm having a great time. I didn't notice time... It, it goes really fast, for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's not a long movie, and it's not, like... It does, it does have kind of, like, a barreling momentum shit keeps yeah. happening. Except for the fucking part... When they land into Oz and they the Munchkins do their fucking numbers and that shit sucks. I'm I, sorry. I think it's fun. I th- all all the fucking Munchkin songs. Fuck that. <laughs> okay, rude. You, you, I, I think those, those are those are really fun. You, they're like I, I like the weird like voices they do. I like. I can't stand that shit. <sighs> you can't stand whimsy. Apparently. I mean, we've talked about whimsy. There's a limit. I think that, well, I mean, there's a couple things here that I uh, I have feelings towards. So number one is the fact that I'm gay. So I like, the, <laughs> I like the Wizard of Oz to some degree because of that, because there's obviously this huge history with it in um, mm-hmm. the gay community, especially the community of gay men, which I'm not a part of. But still, Friends of Dorothy was a whole thing. <laughs> Are you insinuating that my dislike for the Wizard of Oz is because I'm some kind of homophobe? I'm saying that uh, there's a level of camp that this movie approaches that is maybe I'm more readily interested in and more readily um, have aesthetic predisposition towards. Not in like, to be clear, not in like a genetic sense, like I'm predisposed to liking camp because I'm very fucking gay. But I'm saying like that the, I like when this movie goes big. I like all the songs and I actually like every single song. I think they're really fun. I think that like they all have great melodies that I, like we remember every single song in this like decades and decades and decades later. They're all iconic. Like, you could sing any song in this, everyone knows what you're talking about. I think that, like, um, the weird, like, performances that, like, Glinda gives, or, like, Billy Burke as Glinda the Good Witch is surreal and fun. I think that, um, uh, Frank Morgan as the professor and the wizard is this like the enjoyable con man character that, um, when they did, uh, Oz, the, uh, were, what's his, the new one. Oz the Great and Powerful? Yes, Sam yes, Raimi? yes, yes. The Sam Raimi one where, what's his name? The the Dick? What's that one, Dick? Uh, <laughs> James Franco? James Franco. Where James Franco played him doesn't do him justice into any degree. No, I like Frank Morgan in this as well. I like I, I like and, the, the I like the traveling dudes. I like the wizard. I like Dorothy. I think Dorothy's a fun character. I think she, <laughs> I think she overgoes. I think you're really discounting the fact that she grows throughout the movie and learns things and like has experiences. Like, she begins the movie as someone who essentially hates her lot in life and then comes to love her lot in life. And that's a big change. And the movie, I think, sells it, personally. As far as, like, as far as a kid's fable can sell that, I think it sells it. I found it kind of flimsy. And then also, Margaret Hamilton really does a fun job as the Witch of the West. Sure. Nothing in this movie kind of grabs me, you know? It's like, I can't believe you're going to turn the fucking tables and make me the unfun one. 
I mean, you're the one who doesn't like the Wizard of Oz. It's not my fault. <laughs> I, I think it. I think it's okay. It's fine. Jesus, get off my dick. <laughs> you said the script sucked shit earlier. <laughs> I don't think it's a great script. I, 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 What's I, wrong I, with it? I don't know. It's just I don't. You just didn't like it. I just kind of didn't like it. I liked. I, I liked a lot of the dialogue. What? But I don't. Okay, you like the dialogue. You like a lot like, of the songs. You like half the fucking characters. Okay, okay. <laughs> like dude, this is weird. Okay, I don't like the structure of the film. I think okay. it's like, but I like the, the 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 Tin Man, Scarecrow, the Lion, the Wizard. They get a lot of bombos in. I, I, I don't I, think I'm gonna be able to convince you, and I'm not like even trying that hard because, like, like I said, it's not a movie that like I have a huge disposition towards, but. I give it four stars. I would watch if someone's like, "Hey, do you want to watch Wizard of Oz?" Be like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, let's watch that. It's a really fun movie." I mean, I'd be like, "Sure, whatever." Wait till the gay lion comes. I like the gay lion. <laughs> uh, um, we've been recording for a while. This is oh, geez, we're already this is recording be a long for an episode. hour and six minutes. So we should probably uh, just say, "Hey, Sounds the Lambs, you're the winner." Congratulations. Um, and you're also the winner of next round. Congratulations on that one, too. That's a very good, yeah. <laughs> um, but, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but uh, yeah. Um, I think we need to do the things where we wrap it up. Yeah, right? that's probably a good idea. So, if you want to send us some mail, because sometimes some people are, uh, you know, they send us mail for us to read because they like the show. Uh, if you're one of those people, uh, go ahead and send us some stuff at middlebrowmadness at gmail.com. We are currently soliciting uh, recipes, uh, vegan preferable. The uh, opinions from Brits about the Roman conquest. Shit, what else? There's a couple of other things. Um, did you mention Bollywood? Bollywood. Anyth- anything and everything about Bollywood. And um, I think that's all, all, the, all the stuff that we have open right now. But uh, don't let that limit you. I mean, send us what you want to send us. Yeah, we'll this bullshit. And we have things that have been sent to us. We That's actually right. have letters both this episode and the next episode. So we've we set a pattern. So if you don't send us anything, we're gonna have to just end the pod. <laughs> You'll never know which is the best movie. <laughs> asterisk. So if you want to send me some fucking hate mail because because uh, I don't like the Wizard of Oz that much, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Derek underscore G, and you can find Isabel at Space Jam Fan. Uh, we can both be found on Letterbox at both of those same handles. And nope. Uh, yeah. Oh no, yours is the, the trap jaw. jaw. That's right. And um, yeah, rate us five stars on iTunes or however much you think we deserve. But you know, five preferably. Yeah, leave us a review. Uh, we're so small that it does actually help. And uh, as I see, as time goes on, we get slightly more. We get a greater amount of subscribers because I see in Apple Podcasts uh, that we have more and more. People who listen to this podcast also listen to podcasts. Yes, yes, like yes. We started, we had one, now we've got three. Also, uh, we are part of the Noise Space Podcast Network. Yes. Uh, all of our shit is at noisespace.xyz. It's a little podcast, uh, a podcast incubator, I think he likes to call it, that our friend Matt runs. And you can find our shows and a bunch of other fucking shows by a bunch of our fucking friends on noisespace.xyz. And uh, real quick, I'm going to tease the next episodes matchups we have north by northwest versus money pythons the life of brian versus grave of the, well no that's one matchup the second matchup is grave of the fireflies versus rush a lot of band, fucking good movies the movie. there there's some pretty good movies in there I- i'm gonna but- make a bold claim this might be our best set of matchups there's not a single movie in there that i don't love yeah these are like all at least really really good um but we have um i i this is the third part of hirsch's email Oh, yeah, the email, the long email. Yes. 
So we did the previous two episodes. We did the uh, first two parts. Um, we're finally getting to the last part of this email. Mm. And it is a recipe. So it is for black bean and seitan. Is that how you pronounce it? I've, n- I've seen that word. I've never said it out loud to another person. And now I feel like an asshole. Seitan. S-E-I-T-A-N. Like the fake, well, not the fake meat. I shouldn't say. It's uh, like a kind of like. It's like a protein. Yeah. Man, I, I lost steam on that really quick. Um, It's wheat gluten. Wheat gluten. It is very much not gluten free. But it is for black bean and seitan. Would you pronounce that seitan? Uh, I'm actually looking up a, a pronunciation as we... Uh, Satan. Sat- Satan. Hail Satan. I I was about to do a bit that would have just been like a reference to the beginning of a Butthole Servers album, which is <laughs> no one's idea of fun. So... Well, sometimes I, sometimes you just gotta follow Occam's joke, you know? <laughs> um, so, the recipe here, I'm gonna read it off, and I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give my comment as we go, because I think there's a couple things worth commenting in here. Okay. So, heat a few tablespoons of oil in a uh, mm-hmm. big pan over low-medium heat. Good so far. Mm-hmm. Add one tablespoon of paprika, one tablespoon of cumin, one tablespoon of coriander seeds, and maybe like six cloves of minced garlic. Stir it around and let it fry f- on fry for like 30 seconds. Add sure. two diced onions and bring to medium heat and cook for five minutes. Good so far. I'm a fan of everything that's going on. Um, I make balls of this fake meat stuff called seitan every now and then out of wheat gluten, but you can maybe find it in a specialty store or use firm tofu instead. So I want to comment here. Um, you can make it. It's actually not that hard to make. It is impossible to find non-seasoned seit- s- seitan. Um, Satan. Um, Satan. Outside of, like, very specialty health food stores. Even in, like, some of the, like, uh, what do you call them? Like, food co-ops around here, they don't have them. And this is the Pacific Northwest, where you should have them. But, um, either way, dice it up. uh, Dice up 200 grams of it and add to the pan. Cook for another five minutes and then add, this is in brackets, some amount I didn't measure, corn. And they drain and rinse uh, 400-gram can of black beans. Rinse one cup of uncooked brown rice a few times and add it to the pan as well. You can leave it for a little while if you want the rice to toast a bit, but if there's too much liquid in the pan for that to happen, or you can't be bothered waiting to skip the next step. I like that. I'm very big fan of that. Uh, pour in two cups of vegetable stock. Uh, if you can get vegetarian faux chicken stock, it's even better. Stir to deglaze if there's any food at the bottom of the pan. Cover and let simmer for in low for 10 minutes, and then you're pretty much good. You can serve it with coriander. But yeah, that's our that's our first recipe here. Um, I'm a fan. That sounds like something I make all the time, so. We should probably put that in the show notes. We probably should. But yeah, until next time. (laughs) What a weird thing to leave off on. Until (laughs) next time, I've been, oh, we didn't say come once this episode. We didn't even talk about bone. I mean, we guess we talked about bad dragon, but. um, Yeah, I get. Uh, we we talked about cum a lot in the pre-show. We talked about our sponsor. Yeah, we did talk. We talked a lot about Something... getting cancer from cunnilingus. Uh, hurry hurry up and fucking talk, say because I was going to make a horrible joke about pre-cum. Just end the show. Um, my name's Isabel Arf. Isabel I... Cum Baby Arf. Oh god damn it! And I'm uh, and I'm Derek Big Daddy Jizz. God, I God, that's the worst. <laughs> Big Daddy Jizz. Uh, I was I panicked. <laughs> um. How do we end this fuck? What's the thing we say? Have movies be jolly. That's the one. Have movies be jolly. Good night, everyone. Good night.